Hey everyone, this is Kira from KiraWilliamsFitness.com and today we have Morgan Adams from MorganAdamsWellness.com and we are going to talk about sleep, how important, how vital it is to our health and how it can also help us, how we can utilize sleep to lose fat. So welcome Morgan, thank you for being on today. Thank you so much for inviting me on Kira. I'm so happy to have you here and I'm so happy you guys are listening to this podcast because if you are not sleeping, you're doing yourself a huge disservice and we are going to talk all about that today. Um, so Morgan, go ahead and let us know a little bit about you and what you do. Yes. Well, I am a holistic sleep coach for women and I help women who are struggling to get a good night's sleep. And I like to take an approach that doesn't really uh, focus on medications or over-the-counter types of things. I did actually go through my own battle with insomnia about 10 years ago and unfortunately turned to Ambien, which I took for almost 10 years. And it was kind of a nightmare, to be honest. And so I really uh, feel strongly that women are going to be able to get a good night's sleep without having to rely on pharmaceuticals. So that is my passion. Um, I am really, really into learning all about sleep and sharing the message about how it can make us happier, vibrant, and more productive people. Oh yes. And to stay like, to be able to come at this from a holistic perspective and, you know, stay away from the medications is so, so, so huge. I love that you're able to do this and provide the service for people. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think there is a time and a place for med medications. I don't want to dismiss all of them, but if you can do your best to follow a protocol that doesn't involve medications, you're probably going to be the better for it. And so before we dive into the big topic today of, um, how sleep impacts our ability to lose fat, what, um, what is it like, like, what, a, what does a sleep coach do? How do you work with your clients? So I work, um, doing a one-to-one -one individualized coaching program that lasts eight weeks. And I really customize it to the client's individual needs, but some of the things that we end up talking about are definitely diet and exercise, environment, stress reduction, um, different coping strategies for problems they might encounter, like waking up uh, too early, you know, waking up in the middle of the night. And I really just take a customized approach because I don't believe in the cookie cutter approach at all. So every person's different, but I find that there is a commonality in my clients that a lot of them are already taking a medication or an over-the-counter and they want to stop or they're seriously considering it and reach for me, you know, to get help because they don't want to take a medication. And I'm also finding that the more women I end up coaching, the more I see that anxiety is at the root of so many of these problems with sleeping. So honing in on those skills to help reduce the anxiety and to manage that, I think has been really important lately, especially during the times that we're in now and hopefully coming out of, but um, it's definitely taken a toll on people's 
mental health. My goodness. So you are kind of like um, a therapist and a trainer and a little bit of a dietitian, and they're like all bundled up into one and you are a holistic sleep coach. Yeah. And I kind of like a lot of people don't really know what a sleep coach is because it's, it's still kind of a new thing, but it's actually trending big time. So what I like to tell people who want to know in a really abbreviated way, I'm kind of like a personal trainer for sleep. So we all know what a personal trainer does. (laughs) Anyone who's listening to your podcast knows that. So it's kind of like the same thing. There's a lot of accountability that I uh, provide. I definitely keep in touch with my clients in between their weekly sessions via an app. So they always have support because I think that is critical to have that accountability. Um, You know, with therapy, it's great. You can see sleep doctors, which are, they're wonderful, but um, I guess the downside with that is that you're not getting that daily accountability if you need it for the Mm -hmm. most part. Wow. This is, I mean, you know, I've heard of, of sleep coaches, you know, uh, people hire sleep coaches for their newborns. Um, but you know, why not have one for yourself? And, you know, there's nothing worse than not being able to sleep. Amen. <laughs> I can there's, speak from experience. It's, it's mm. awful. It's an awful feeling. Well, <clears throat> let's go ahead and get into the big topic of today. Um, with, you know, obesity being so prevalent in the U S and, you know, research is showing that sleep is decreasing. Like people are taking less time, um, less hours of sleep, getting less hours of sleep. Sorry about that. (laughs) Um, and while correlation doesn't necessarily imply causation, it's kind of hard to deny the link between the two. Um, so do you think that there's a link there? And if so, why? Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely think there's a link uh, to obesity and sleep. Now, obviously, we've got a huge obesity epidemic. It's a crisis, and it's getting worse. Um, There are a lot of factors that contribute to it, but I think sleep does play into that quite a bit. And when I was doing a review in Google, there's a service called Google Scholar where you can see all the the studies. Um, I did see one that was really sort of like a compendium of different studies from 2018. And they did say in this article that those who regularly slept seven hours a night, less than, excuse me, less than seven hours a night were more likely to be obese than folks who slept more. So there definitely is a link a co- you know, a correlation, but not a cause a causation like you were mentioning before. Right. And, you know, even if obesity isn't something that's at the top of your mind, I mean, I, I do know, you know, most of my listeners aren't, they're not as concerned with obesity. You know, I have, I, I'll be honest, I have a lot of clients and listeners who are here because they want to be fit. You know, they, they are, they're healthy, they, but they're like looking to, be better. And that's okay too. Um, and so for you guys that are listening, you know, this isn't going to be all about obesity. This is just kind of like letting, setting the foundation and letting guys know that there is probably a link between, you know, storing body fat and not getting enough sleep. 
So before we dive into all of that, can you, Morgan, define what sleep deprivation truly is? Well, you know, the CDC is calling sleep deprivation a public health epidemic, and I find that really shocking. I did not really even think they would be considering it that in that way, but they are. And so really what it means, it means you're not getting enough sleep. So the sleep requirements for most adults is between seven to nine hours a night. So when you are getting less than that, you know, recommended amount, you might be considered to be sleep deprived. Now, it's an individual type of thing. So somebody could be getting seven hours a night, but for their sleep need, they might be sleep deprived. So it's really um, kind of a case by case basis, but really you can really understand if you are sleep deprived by some of these things that you might notice during the day. Like if you're feeling really irritable or on edge, like you're just about to snap at the slightest mishap. Um, if you're having trouble focusing, um, if you're yawning a lot, those might be signs that you're sleep deprived. So if you are experiencing those, you know, really kind of do it like a sleep audit and, and kind of maybe keep a sleep journal and figure out exactly how much you're getting a night and experiment maybe with adding on some time. And then, you know, so I, um, I'm sure you're familiar with all of the different, um, technologies that we have these days, you know, we've got like the aura ring and the whoop band and stuff like that. Um, I actually wore a whoop strap for about a year, um, just to collect data and kind of like get to know my body a little bit more. So when you say, so like whoop will say like, I'm like, well, I slept from, you know, 10 to 8 AM and that should be 10 hours, but whoop is like, no, you only slept nine hours. So like when you, when you say sleep, do you mean like what, what some of these like data points would call sleep or like actual, like, does that, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I I do know what you're saying. So you really don't know for sure, like how much sleep you're getting, unless you're wearing like some kind of wearable tracker. Um, because you can, let's just say you go to bed at midnight and you wake up at seven and you think you got seven hours of sleep, but you may not realize you may have these awakenings, you know, in the middle of the night that you might not really be totally aware of, or it might take you longer to get to sleep and you might not really know exactly how long it took. So that's like taking time off your total sleep time. So when you use these trackers, you're getting a better snapshot of the actual time spent in bed. But there is a caveat because I have an aura ring and I've had it for two years and I'm really, really into like looking at the trends and and what it does. And there are times when I am sitting on the couch, kind of like getting ready to go to bed, winding down, and it is tracking me as sleeping (laughs) and I'm clearly not sleeping. So, you know, for the most part, a tracker is going to be able to accurately tell you how much sleep you're getting, but it's nothing like nothing is a hundred percent. It's kind of an estimate. So go ahead. So it kind of goes back to, you know, what I originally said about you pretty much are able to, for the most part, assess if you've had enough sleep, if you're noticing um, that you're, you know, well-rested, you've got enough energy to make it throughout the day without like chugging caffeine 
like most people are aware, like if they're sleep deprived, however, there are some people who may not realize it, which is, you know, the reason why we're doing these kinds of podcasts to like, just bring awareness to it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes biofeedback is the best kind of feedback. It beats all technological feedback you could ever get. Yes, absolutely. Um, so what happens when we're sleep deprived that causes increased appetite and cravings, which ultimately are what can be what leads to weight gain? Yeah. So when we are sleep deprived, what we're seeing are changes in two key hormones that are helping us regulate our weight. So the first hormone is called ghrelin and this is the hunger hormone. And, you know, I kind of think ghrelin sounds like gremlin. So I call this the hunger monster. And so when you're sleep deprived, what happens is your ghrelin level increases. So you're finding that you are hungrier than you might normally be. And then the second hormone is called leptin. And this is the hormone that is your satiety hormone. It tells you you're full and that it's time to stop eating, put the fork down. When you are sleep deprived, your leptin levels decrease. So nature is kind of playing a cruel joke on us when we are sleep deprived because you're getting both of those hormones kind of out of whack. So you get hungrier and you don't have a cue to stop eating. So when that situation happens, you are really setting the stage to start gaining weight for sure. And then another reason why people might be gaining weight from sleep deprivation is that when you're sleep deprived the next day, you are more than likely pretty fatigued and you're probably not going to want to be as active. You're probably going to want to skip your session at the gym. So those are really kind of the main drivers as to why, um, we might be prone to putting weight on if we're sleep deprived. Not to mention wanting to skip the gym, you know, wanting to skip cooking and just getting Uber eats too. Yes. Yes. Now. So that sounds all gloom and doom, right? (laughs) But here's the good news. A study showed um, back in 20, like actually a few months ago, 2022 in February, they actually wanted to ask the question if we could extend sleep and then reverse some of those adverse outcomes of sleep deprivation. And what they found was really, really positive. So what they did was they took 80 overweight adults who were sleeping about six and a half hours a night, and they gave them a personalized sleep hygiene counseling session. And that session helped boost these folks sleep by an average of one, 1.2 hours a night. So when they got just a little over an hour, more an hour sleep a night, their caloric intake was reduced by 700, excuse me, by 270 calories a day. So that might not sound like a lot of calories per day, but if you like compounded that over several days, imagine like what kind of weight loss might occur just by adding a little extra sleep to your night. No kidding. And then also, you know, like, I don't know if that study, you know, detailed what those people were choosing to eat, but you know, if you're, if you have, if you're better rested and you're more sound mind, you're probably making better choices too. Exactly. Yeah. You're definitely going to veer towards those foods that are healthier, not like the junk food, empty calories types of foods. So what happens during sleep deprivation that can cause metabolic dysregulation, insulin resistance, and why does this cause weight gain too? Yeah. 
So what they have shown that when, when you take somebody and you sleep deprive them, even just for one night, it increases their insulin resistance. And that can increase blood sugar levels that actually match the levels of those of a pre-diabetic. So this is why lack of sleep is often associated with diabetes. And so there are actually some other factors involved that increase our glucose um, because we're sleep deprived. So one of the things that increases as well is oxidative stress inflammation. And then also cortisol, this is like a big buzzword, cortisol is increased by sleep deprivation and it increases glucose as well. So we clearly know that sleep affects blood sugar levels, but it also has a bi-directional type of relationship too. The, our blood sugar can also impact our sleep quality. So I wanna tell you about this study where they found um, 62% of people with glucose levels and the pre-diabetes range are more likely to have poor sleep compared to 46% of people with normal glucose levels. And that's, that's pretty significant. And just to give you an idea of like the pre-diabetes um, significance, 30% of our population is pre-diabetic. And the really scary thing is that only 10% of people who have prediabetes actually know they have it. So it's kind of the perfect storm here. Um, yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you sort of a personal story about like what happened with me when I was experimenting with a CGM monitor. Um, for those of y'all who don't know, a CGM monitor is, is a continuous glucose monitor. You just stick it on the back of your arm and it gives you real time glucose readings throughout a 24 hour period. And I've done a couple of these, um, trials. And in my last trial, a couple months ago, I was using the glucose monitor for two weeks and I'm typically a good sleeper. Like, you know, my numbers are good and nothing looks unusual, but there was one night where my husband got in late from a business trip. I think he came in at like 12 or one and my sleep got completely disrupted because of that. I couldn't really like fully get back to sleep. And that next morning when I woke up, my blood glucose was a lot higher than it had been through the whole experiment. So that's just kind of a real life example of how um, messing with your sleep can really impact your glucose levels. For so sure. just one night can really throw you off. Yeah, just one night. So um, I think that's just really interesting to, to know that it, it only takes one night. And I mean, I wonder, you know, if that, if that kind of like, if it was just a huge, like spike and a drop for you, you know, because you are so good and you're so regimented and you're so, you know, regular, I wonder, you know, if like somebody's body would just kind of go like, oh, you know, I'm used to this. Um, I'm not suggesting that that would be a good idea. I just kind of wonder if somebody's body would kind of self-regulate and yeah. like, it just knows. And I mean, you know, there's going to be periods of life where like we can do the best that we can. We can always prioritize sleep, but like sometimes like we go through periods of stress, like sometimes people have kids, you know, they can be the healthiest people in the world, but like these things happen. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I would just say if you are somebody who is um, 
you know, you're doing all the right things to help your sleep, but your sleep is still not where you want it to be. I would definitely look into getting um, a CGM monitor to track your, your glucose because you could have like too many blood sugar issue regulation issues. And that might be what you would need to fix to get your sleep back on track. So it's just, you know, just a suggestion, you know, it's always good to see like how you're doing with your blood glucose daytime or nighttime. Of course. I mean, more information is never going to be a bad thing. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the brain. Um, how does sleep sleep deprivation compromise our brain function? And then what does that mean for our weight? Yeah. So they did a study, um, showing that when people were deprived of sleep for one night, it actually changed their brain to respond to high calorie foods that were like junk, junk foods. And, um, on the days when people hadn't had enough sleep, those fattening foods, we're stimulating stronger responses and the part of the brain that helps control your motivation to eat. And they also had a big, big reduction in the activity and the frontal cortex, which is the part of the brain where rational decisions are made, which really explains why we do, like you mentioned, we do the door, the door dash, or we don't want to, we just grab whatever's convenient. And I mean, I can definitely attest to this type of scenario really more back when I was, you know, in my twenties and I would just like go to a bar and like, I wouldn't get home till two in the morning and I was completely sleep deprived. And then the next day, all I did was just want junk. I mean, it just, I think most people can probably imagine this or, you know, play out this scenario in their real life at some point. Oh, for sure. So that's the, that's like the big thing behind that. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's our, our brain definitely is going to respond to that and, um, making those poor choices, not really rationalizing being rational and wanting that like well-balanced meal for sure. Yep. And then there's, you know, there's so many other things that come into play with that. And again, like, you know, we are going to make these decisions sometimes it's okay. We just, the more information we know, the more we can go, Hey, this is the only reason that that's happening. Let me, even though I know I'm craving French fries, let me get this like beautiful, you know, salad instead. I'm going to feed my body what it actually needs, not just what my brain thinks it wants. So now that we understand the importance of sleep and all of the effects that sleep deprivation has on our body, what are some of your top tips that you would give someone to help them improve their quality and quantity of sleep? Yeah. So I would say first thing would be getting morning sunlight as soon as you wake up within an hour. Um, now key point here is not to wear your sunglasses. I can't tell you how many times I'm, I'm doing my morning walk, walking my dog in the neighborhood and I see other people walking their dogs and they've got sunglasses on and I'm like, Oh, take your, take them off. The reason why you don't want the sunglasses is because when the natural light hits your eyes, it's going to send a signal uh, to your brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. Okay. And that's the central pacemaker of your circadian timing system. And that controls your sleep wake patterns, your temperature, your metabolism and your release of hormones. So, I mean, it's a very simple practice, you know, just getting outside for maybe 15 minutes would be a good amount of time. And if you are somebody who gets up like before the sun, um, 
I'm an example of that. I usually get up around five. That's just sort of my natural rhythm. I will sit in front of a light box for about 15 or 20 minutes to get that light in my eyes. And then I'll go for my walk when the sun is out. So super important. Um, and I'm not sure like how many people realize just the power of the morning sun to just set off everything, um, all the processes your body needs to, you know, stay in balance for the rest of the day. And then the second tip would be to um, get up at the same time every morning, even on the weekends. I know a lot of people um, will like really love to sleep in on the weekends. And I used to be that kind of person too. I would sleep to like nine or 10, but I would get up, you know, for work on the weekdays at like six. Um, and so what happens when you have that irregular type of schedule, you are um, creating a scenario where you could get social jet lag. And so essentially your circadian rhythm is a little bit out of mis is a little bit misaligned. And what can happen is, you know, Sunday nights, it's really hard to fall asleep. And then also Monday morning, you're dragging, you start, you start to like actually kind of recover by like Tuesday or Wednesday. So you've missed a few days of like feeling good. Um, so, you know, you don't have to be like super, like, you know, you don't have to like be super stringent about timing it, but like, if you can make it within 30 minutes, you know, every, every morning that you're doing yourself a favor, it's also going to help you, um, fall asleep around the same time each night. It's just going to really get your circadian rhythm in alignment. And the third jump in, if you have questions, I'm going kind of fast. <laughs> I was just going to say, um, that I, so I follow Morgan on Instagram and you talk, she talks about this a lot on her Instagram. Um, and I, since I've been following her, I've learned a lot. Um, I never knew that about the sunglasses until I started following you. Um, so what is your Instagram? So everybody can like oh. go follow you. Yeah. It's Morgan Adams dot wellness. All right. We're going to link that, but, um, but y'all like hit pause, go follow her really quick. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, I do. I do have a lot of content about uh, this morning sunlight and, and, and reminding people to take their sunglasses off. I mean, like use common sense though. I mean, if you're like driving and it's really bright and you can't see, like put your sunglasses on. Um, so, okay. Third tip would be to um, establish a very solid morning and evening routine. So the morning routine would look something like this. Like we said, the morning sun, um, going outside, um, getting some movement, whether that's inside or outside, depending on the weather, having some kind of grounding practice. Um, I like to do kind of a combination of breath work, um, meditation or mindfulness, like reading a positive book, like a, a self-help, not self-help, a personal development book. Because what happens is when you set your day in a tone where you are like beginning your day in a calm way and you are centered and you're positive and grateful, you are less likely to get thrown off by things that come your way that are not so positive during the day. And so anything you can do to set yourself up in the beginning is going to serve you well, because if you let all of these, you know, extraneous things throughout the day impact your mood and your anxiety, it could actually reduce the chance that you'll fall asleep well um, at night. So morning, I mean, 
I think I know people are like really, really talking a lot about the evening routines, but I honestly think that the morning is just as important or even more important to, to focus in on. So like with evening, I'll just go over a few things that I think are important for the evening. Um, the first thing would be to start dimming your lights, you know, um, you know, a couple hours before bed. And while you're dimming your lights also start to lower the temperature of your sleeping environment. So perhaps um, maybe lower it by a degree every hour. So when you're looking at your sleep temperature, I would say 65 degrees is a very decent temperature to sleep in. You want to sleep in a cooler environment versus a warmer one, because when you um, have a core, a core body temperature that's cooled by like two to three degrees, you're going to be much more able to fall asleep and stay asleep. So um, if you want to like amp that up a bit, and this is something that I've done as a perimenopausal woman <laughs> who um, is reaching that point where I'm sleeping hotter. I invested in a product called the chili pad and it is a, a cooling mattress pad and it has been an absolute game changer. It's a little bit of an investment, but it is definitely going to keep your core body temperature cool at night. Okay. A couple other things I would you know think about for the evening would be what I call a brain dump. Um, basically this is just like getting a pen and a paper or a journal and just writing a to-do list or writing out your worries followed up by the next step if you've got a worry. Um, because what I'm finding is a lot of my clients are just kind of ruminating before they go to bed or they wake up at 3 a.m. and they're ruminating about tomorrow's events. So if you can get all of this kind of taken care of before you go to bed, it really does help prevent you know, those issues falling asleep or waking up. And then as far as like the actual activities that you do in the evening, I would just say, do things that are not stimulating and that are relaxing. And that really varies from person to person, but I know a lot of um, like quote sleep hygiene tips say, don't watch TV before bed. And honestly, it really just depends on what you're watching. I actually do watch TV every night before I go to bed, but the way I do it is going to, is actually not harming my sleep. And this is why it's because I have on a pair of blue light blocking glasses that block that blue light from the TV. I'm also watching content that is not too stimulating things that are just like kind of neutral or funny, you know, but like no really like charged content or like scary things. Um, I think it really just you just want to find things that are not going to stimulate you. If you're going to, you know, talk to your spouse, don't talk about heated subjects before bed. Um, so yeah, it, there's a lot that can go on in an evening routine, but it really is very personalized to you. And then the last tip I have, which is going to resonate a lot with your uh, audience and people who follow you is daily movement. We do know for sure that exercise builds your sleep drive. It definitely does that. And what is really interesting, there was a study done a few months ago that where they compared people who were doing resistance training only versus um, aerobic activity only. 
And they showed that sleep duration increased by an average of 40 minutes for the resistance exercise group compared to an increase of about 23 minutes in the aerobic exercise group. So they still need to do more studies about this, but this kind of indicates that resistance training might be a better type of exercise for optimizing sleep, which I was totally stoked to hear because I do love lifting a weight <laughs> and I know you do too. Oh yeah. And that, that's so fascinating. I, I never had any idea. And I mean, I would almost feel like, I mean, cardiovascular exercise is a little bit more exhausting. Um, I would, you know, like it might make you sleep more or better. So that's, that's super interesting. Although I do know, um, it is not recommended to do cardio any, like in the evenings, like if you're really trying to work on your sleep, like doing cardio first thing in the morning might not be a great idea either, because if you've got some adrenal issues, that might not be the best time for you either, if at all. Um, but doing it in the evenings can definitely, I have read a bunch about doing especially high intensity interval trainings in the evening can keep you out of deep sleep. Yeah. I mean, I definitely recommend that people not do any kind of like intense physical activity, um, four hours before bed. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think it's really, it's, it's, it can heat your core temperature up too much. And we know that you need that cooler core body temperature to fall asleep. So I would just, you know, encourage people to, to move their workouts to like, you know, earlier in the day, if they can, I mean, you know, sometimes it's not possible, but it's preferable to, to work out earlier than later. Yeah. And I mean, I can tell you guys that too, last Friday, I went to the gym and I did a CrossFit class, which is, you know, it was 20 minutes of intense cardio and I did it at four 30. I went to bed at about nine 30 and I did not sleep the same as I normally would. So, wow. Yeah. yeah. Case in point. Yep. I, and maybe it could have been something else, but I, that was the only thing that was different in my day. So I, you know, kind of look back at, look back and think that that's probably what it was. Um, but I also know my body really, really well too, you know, yeah, (laughs) I've been doing this a long time. Yeah. You are not a newbie to this. (laughs) Um, so when someone's circadian rhythm is off, what can they do? Yeah. Well, first of all, you, you may want to like learn a little bit more about what your chronotype chronotype is and what a chronotype is. It's basically an expression of your individual circadian rhythmicity that's a really hard word to say. Um, a really cool resource that you can go to on the internet to find out what your chronotype is. It's a quiz. It's called the URL is the power of when quiz.com, the power of when quiz.com. And you will find what your chronotype is and they will make recommendations for your own particular chronotype. And in general, like, you know, it's, it's a little bit more in depth, but you've got kind of like your night owl person and your, and your morning lark person. Um, but for really anybody here are some really good kind of basic tips on how to get your circadian rhythm in alignment. So number one, you would want to try to eat your meals within a 12 hour window. They've actually done studies, um, showing that this is preferable to, um, maintaining metabolic health 
than having an extended uh, meal window. And I would, I would definitely recommend a book um, called The Circadian Code by Dr. Sachin Panda. Um, he talks all about the circadian rhythm and how to optimize it. And you're going to be seeing in the next couple of years, a lot more information um, coming out in the media about um, chronobiology, circadian, circadian medicine. It's, it's a, an extremely fascinating field. Um, another way to reset your circadian rhythm, we've kind of already touched on this, is that morning sunlight, you know, within an hour of waking up. Also, you know, you don't want to get that morning sunlight and then literally go and sit in your cubicle all day long. You want to get outside as much as you can, even if it's just like taking a five minute break outside to like, look at the sun. Um, that's really important. And then also if you can be very consistent about your routines so that your activities are not varying by more than like a two hour window, that is ideal. So we kind of touched on that earlier, um, waking up at the same time every day, trying to get to bed around the same time every night. That's a little harder to control because you really want to go to bed when you are sleepy, not just because it's nine o'clock. Um, you want to try to um, eat your meals and work out ideally within like, you know, a two hour time frame. So keeping that routine, your body know, is going to know what to expect. So everything is just going to move along a lot more smoothly if your routine is really, really nailed down. Now, I don't want people to think they can't ever like go out and have fun because we have to live, you know, I mean, like we want to be social. So if you're normal, you know, dinner time is six o'clock and you get invited to a dinner that starts at eight, go to that dinner at eight, you know, and enjoy people. Don't like, don't make this like, you know, your religion, but try to like, try to keep in mind just the regularity is going to serve you well. Right. And um, then the last question that I have for you is for people who struggle to get to sleep and stay asleep. Um, I know this is a super loaded question and I'm sure we could spend an hour, if not longer talking about what can be at play here, but what might one or two things be that you would point to? And then how could you personally as their sleep coach help them? So I think really one of the main drivers of people not being able to fall asleep and also waking up um, throughout the night is from my experience with my clients is, is the worry and the anxiety. And so I kind of touched on this earlier, but I'll just go a little bit deeper. Um, what I have something that is called a, I mean, I didn't make this up. This is, you can Google this and find that a lot of, um, people in sleep, you know, follow this protocol. It is called the constructive worry exercise. And it's basically kind of a brain dump. You get a piece of paper, you divide the paper um, into two columns and you list out all your worries. And then on the left side of that column, and then on the right side of the column, you list out the first step that you could take to solving that problem. And even there, there may not actually be um, a step, but you have to just kind of acknowledge that, Hey, there may not be a solution for this at the moment, but I'll come back to it. Um, I recommend that people do this like probably in the evening, but not too close to bedtime. I think 
a lot of my clients are finding success doing this exercise around dinner time. So six or seven, maybe before or after dinner as part of maybe their clean it, cleaning up after dinner routine, kind of a habit stacking thing and spend, you know, 15 minutes doing this and then put that notebook away. And when you go to bed at night, if you start to like ruminate before you're falling asleep, or if you wake up at 2 a.m. and you're starting to worry about a meeting tomorrow, you can just remind yourself that, hey, look, I took care of what I needed to take care of. I've done my, you know, what I can do and I'll, I will deal with this tomorrow. And I think that is helpful to a lot of people. I would also say um, taking mindfulness snacks throughout the day is helpful to alleviate that anxiety from building up throughout the day. And really the way you do that is, you know, by meditating or doing some kind of breath work in the morning, then maybe doing it at lunchtime and then before bed so that you're kind of on, on the regular taking these like little snacks for mindfulness, whatever that mindfulness looks like to you, breath work, meditation, um, uh, prayer, whatever. Um, so those are really like, I think the main things that are helping my clients and, you know, they're not anything fancy. It's just, it's not high tech. It's really, really basic stuff. And so if someone is struggling with this, um, they can work with you and you will help them individually with this stuff. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I have a lot of different exercises like this that I use, um, with my clients and a lot of different techniques. And, you know, sometimes we find that extra testing is needed. You know, sometimes I suspect there might be a hormone imbalance, especially as a woman. Um, I see a lot of women in midlife and I recommend that they get a hormone panel done just, just to see. So, you know, um, and then there's women that I work with who really their, their main focus isn't weight loss, but you know, they, they kind of want to incorporate some weight loss into the coaching. So I help them with revising kind of like what their diet looks like, because a lot of them, you know, for example, I'm working with a lady now who is like, I think she's in her sixties. Yeah. She's in her sixties and she's really, um, she's eating some, a lot of things that she doesn't even realize that are inflammatory. And so we're, we're making some changes to her diet that they're not only helping her sleep better, but she's also you know, starting to take off some weight. So there's lots of lots and lots of different little hacks that I have up my sleep. That's so awesome. I mean, what, this is so rewarding, I'm sure to Absolutely. be able to help people with this stuff. Awesome. Well, Morgan, thank you so much for being on. Um, I've absolutely loved having you and this has been incredibly insightful for me even. Um, and it's always a great thing to like, learn more about our sleep, something that's just so it's just the foundation of our health. Um, anyhow, anyway, um, Morgan Adams wellness.com is where you can find her and Morgan, is there anything else that you feel like we didn't talk about or anything that you just feel like compelled to share before we sign off? Well, I actually did have a little quote that I'd love to find for you. Um, I saved it on my phone. Okay. So this is a great quote. 
if you disrupt sleep, you disrupt function everywhere. But if you can improve sleep, you might have a chance of improving everything. I think that just really sums it up. <laughs> I could not agree more. Well, anyhow, um, thank you so much for being on. And again, it's morganadamswellness.com. And what's your Instagram one more time? Yeah, it's morganadams.wellness. Y'all definitely go follow Morgan. And if you're having trouble sleeping, talk to her. She can help you. Thank you so much, Kira. I really, really enjoyed our conversation. Likewise. Thank you so much. And thank you guys all so much for listening.